One of the great truths is that we serve a God that does the miraculous, that does the unbelievable. And <coughs> even as we think about that, I, I want you to really focus in on that idea because I think what it does is it puts us as believers in a very different place. It puts us in a very different place because we believe, and I, and I want you to understand this, we believe that there is a big heavenly father out there that impacts what takes place here. That's what we believe. Um, do you know to a lot of people that would be really weird? And our concept of who God is makes us, by its definition, different. By its very understanding, it makes us different. It changes us. And so I want you guys to understand that as we continue to have the conversation this morning because, because I think that's central to, to the concepts that we're going to be pressing into as the church. We're, we're continuing our series entitled Do the Work. And it's from Ephesians chapter 4. It's from Ephesians chapter 4 where it says, Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to, to, the, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human coming, cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. This passage has been the basis of our series that we've been doing entitled Do the Work, and it's focused in on the idea that Jesus Christ gave ministers to the church. He gave us teachers, and, and he gave us pastors, and he gave us prophets, and he gave us evangelists to, to sow into the church. But ultimately, when you look at this passage, it says that he gave those, churches, those, those ministers to the body to equip the saints to do the work of the ministry. And as you follow that through and you see the idea that the church comes to completion, the church comes to maturity, the church grows and the church becomes healthy, it happens because the saints are doing the work of the ministry. We've been talking in this series over this time that, that for the church to be healthy, for the church to grow, for the church to mature, it takes the body to do the work. Uh, early into the series, I, I asked everybody, I said, how many of you want to be at a healthy church? Right? How, how many of you are like, I've been really looking for an unhealthy church to be a part of? Right? Most of us are, we're here because we want to, if we want to go to church, we want to go to a healthy church. Well, this tells us the only way the church gets healthy is if the church, the body, the saints are doing the work of the ministry. And as we have this thought, and as we read this, as we look through what Paul is saying, I want you guys to be reminded of the context of the conversation. This for me is always really important because so often we read Scripture, particularly when we come to the letters, when we come to the epistles, and we forget the context of the conversation. We forget exactly how this is supposed to play out. Now you realize that here, here in Ephesians chapter 4, this is a letter written by Paul to a church, right? We go through this, and, it, and, and these are the epistles, right? The, the epistles are letters written by, by um, the apostles to the church 
church. Saying, church, this is how it works. The, the context of the entire conversation is two people who understand who God is. Who, as I said when I walked up here, I said, a group of people who believe we have a Heavenly Father that's engaging now. That, that sent His Son so that we might have redemption. That sent His Son that we might be saved. This is the context of this entire conversation. And I think it's so important to understand that as you read this. So often we, we, we read, we interpret, we apply these letters disconnected from the community for which it was intended. We read these things and we see them in, in generalities and we don't realize there's a very distinct um, uh, place that this takes place. This whole conversation has been about what? Uh, what? What causes the church to be mature? What causes it to be protected? What causes it to be built up? What is it? It's, it's that when each part, according to verse 16, is working properly, it makes the body grow so that it builds itself up. That's a really important phrase. He's writing to the church. He's saying to the church, the way that you can get to maturity, the way that you can get to health, is that each one of you is doing your part. And if you're not doing your part, what happens? It's not healthy. I've used this analogy before out, out of my own life as I've talked specifically about uh, the manifestation of gifts of the Spirit, and it's using the gifts of the Spirit in, in relationship to what Paul writes in 1 Corinthians. But I think it applies here too. For many of you, you've heard me tell the story of my father who was diagnosed with cancer. Um, and he had, he had diagnosed with cancer in his fourth vertebrae. And over time and treatment, eventually my father got to the point in which um, he lost use of his legs. Now my dad, prior to cancer, was this was a 30-year veteran in the Milwaukee Police Department. He was a strong man. He would run three, four, five times a week. He was lift, lifting weights. And to see him in a wheelchair was to see his life change dramatically. Everything became harder, whether it was driving a car or taking a shower or changing his clothes. Everything became harder. When a part of his body stopped doing what it was designed to do, everything was more difficult. And so when we walk into this conversation and we say, listen, for the church to grow up, for the church to be mature, each person needs to do its part. Do you know what happens when you don't do your part? The body suffers. We're not healthy. Everything becomes more difficult. And so as we look at this, we understand... This is the, 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 the calling, the admonition, the encouragement to the church. But as I said, the context of this conversation is very specific. All that it says, all that it relates here, only works, only happens, only, only becomes applicable in the context, a very specific context, which is the church. When we participate as the body, it is as a group, as a unique group that has a new, unique set of beliefs that allows the truth of this to bear out, to, to make a difference. When you're reflecting back to the epistles, it, it's not a general truth. It's not a general idea. It is, it is very unique in its context for a unique group of people who believe unique things. 
And that is why when we keep reading, we see Paul going directly into this following passage. He says this, Now this I say, and I testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do, in the futility of their minds. They are darkened, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them. Due to the hardness of their heart, they have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. Now, I want you guys to understand this. I want you to understand the progression of the conversation I'm having with you right now. He talks about the ability to come to maturity. He talks about this place of growth, of being, in, being able to be at this place in which we are beyond what we could be by ourselves. Coming together, working together. Later on in the passage, he describes the way in which it functions, the way in which it takes place. But smack dab in the middle of it, he, des- he describes the distinction between us as the church and the world. And he's doing this because he's saying, this doesn't work if you take on that way. In fact, earlier on, he, he, said, he said, listen, I, I don't want you to be driven. I don't want you to be, 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 be pulled about by the schemes of the world. It doesn't work unless we understand the distinction. I want us to stop there because I want you to see, I, I want you to take in the magnitude of this declaration. I want you to see the, the profound implications of Paul's statement in verses 17 through 19. Over the last several weeks, interwoven through this series, um, we've taken a couple of detours in our messages. I did two weeks uh, earlier on entitled, the world, and last week, Jesse delivered a message entitled The Kingdom. All of those messages were, I believe, led by the Spirit and intended to show the profound distinction between the church and the world, to get us to be drawn into the reality, get us to be drawn into the, to the truth that the church is not like the world in any way, shape, or form. We're not supposed to think like them. We're not supposed to act like them. We're not supposed to be figuring out how to do things the way they do things. In my message, we talked about, about Christ delivering over and over again the profound differences between the church and the world and his messages. Whether it was in John chapter 3. Most of us, most of us know John chapter 3. How many of you guys have ever memorized John 3.16? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him will have eternal life, right? Do you remember what he says around that? Do you remember how in that passage he, he says, he says, he says that, that you can't enter the kingdom of God unless you're born again? So he says there's a distinction here. There are those who are outside the kingdom of God, and there's those guys who are inside the kingdom of God. And, and to be born again, what you have to do is... Those who believe in him can enter the kingdom. And in fact, he goes on and he says, he says, he says, I didn't come into the world to condemn the world. Why does he say that? Because he says the world is already condemned. So he's saying now there are those who are condemned and those who are saved 
those who are in the kingdom because they believe in him. Do you see how Jesus is here creating a very clear distinction between being in the world and not in the world? Or, or I already talked about in John 15, when he says, you are not of the world. And he says, in fact, I've chosen you out of the world. Do you see the distinction he creates? Are those in the world or are those outside the world? And, and if, that wasn't, if that wasn't enough, he says in, in Matthew chapter 13, he refers to, to, the, to the church as the children of the kingdom of God. Do you guys remember this? He's explaining the parable of the sower and the seeds. And so he says, he says that those who, those who are saved, those who are the good seed, he says those are the children of the kingdom of God. And, and remember, what does it take to enter into the kingdom? What it takes to enter into the kingdom is to believe in Jesus Christ, be born again. So they're, they're the children of the kingdom of God. And he looks at the world and he says they are the sons of evil sowed by the devil. These are the words of Jesus. Don't anybody get mad at me. What he said, There's a, there is a very clear distinction that Jesus Christ creates between, between the world and the church. Jesse last week emphasized how we in the church, how, how we who are, are the children of the kingdom of God, who are, not, who are not the sons of evil, who are the children of the kingdom of God, how because of that, we should be responding to things differently. He emphasized the idea of the childlike faith that as children of the kingdom of God, we come as children to God, as our Father, in faith, trusting in Him, receiving from Him, making Him the, the emphasis, saying, I have faith that He will answer. I have faith that He will heal. I have faith that I can rely on Him. That's why I said earlier when I came in, I said, I want you guys to remember something. We believe that there is this heavenly Father out there that we turn to. It's very different than the world, right? How can you turn to a heavenly Father if you don't believe He exists? And so here what we see is this very clear idea that there is a, a difference. So we've talked about, about the differences, but I want you to see the breadth of Paul's declaration about the differences. In the passage we just read, he says, don't walk as the Gentiles walk. See what he says. In the futility of their minds. Because they're darkened in their understanding. The, the life of God is, is alien to them because of their ignorance that is a result of the hardness of their hearts. Are you, guys, are you guys getting like, like how, how unbelievable Paul's expression here is? How, how, how powerful his expression here is? This is not what he says here. It's not just a, a total rejection of the way of the world. But Paul almost surgically removes from the roots the world's ability for effectiveness. He presents an argument that, that leaves you wondering why you would even ever consider the world's plans, the, the world's thoughts, the world's, the world's approach to anything. 
I want you to hear one commentator's description of the Greek word translated here as futility of their minds. This is what he says that word means. It means emptiness, vanity, nonsense, nothingness. It is a purely biblical and ecclesiastical word that describes what is devoid of truth and appropriateness. It defines the inability to reach a goal or achieve a purpose. The word describes the state of being without use or value, emptiness, futility, purposelessness. It is the quality of being empty, fruitless, unproductive, useless. It speaks of a want of attainment with the idea of aimlessness or of leading to no object or end. Does it sound to you like the world has a plan? The, the, the argument that Paul is making here is, he, and, and, and man, it is, to me this is a brilliant idea, this is a brilliant uh, um, description that Paul makes. Because if you read the, 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 the translation of the word that's used there, it says they, they desire to go somewhere, they have a want to accomplish something, they're, they're, they're working to get there, but it's aimless. It's, it, there's no way they're ever going to get there. Has anyone been paying attention to the world? Ha, have you been looking at what's going on in the world? Have you, have you watched the news? Have you watched the attempts? Have you watched the tries to get somewhere? Doesn't this, doesn't this just so beautifully describe what I'm seeing in the world around me? Those who do not know Christ as the Savior, they, they have hardened their hearts to the truth of Him. Those who, who have not believed in Jesus Christ, having not been born again and entered the kingdom of God, but are still condemned, as Jesus says in John chapter 3. Their minds, their plans, their schemes. As Paul wrote in verse 14, are futile, empty, nonsense. Though they speak of a want for attainment, it is aimless, it's leading to no end. These are the plans of, of man that is devoid of the enlightenment of Christ. As a Christian, do you still want to sign on to their plans? I, I, I stand and I, I, just, I, I feel like we as the church in America need to be challenged by the declaration that Paul is making here. I look around the world as they attempt to solve profound problems in the world and I don't know how you can't see it. They have no plan. They, they, they're... They, they, are, they are flailing about, they are, they, are, they are throwing themselves about, knowing that there's a problem, knowing that there's an issue there. And, and sown into the darkness of their minds, sown, sown into the futility of their efforts, is the confusion that Satan himself wants to bring to the world. And, it's, and it's, it's heartbreaking for me as a pastor, as I see the church wanting to come alongside of these plans. And in so doing, rejecting the plans of God. 
that have an answer for the problems that the world is facing. Paul is calling the church to do the work of the, of the ministry for the maturing and the building up of the body of Christ. And he says you have to stay the course in Christ. That you have to work the plan of the Holy Spirit. Rejecting the ways of the world. Putting aside the mindset and, and the values and the schemes that are born of ignorance and darkness. Because their approach is futile. I don't, know if, I don't know if you guys are getting this. I don't, know if you're, I, don't know if, I don't know if you're getting the impact of what I'm trying to say here, but what essentially needs to happen is, our, is the church needs to begin to realize we're not like the world. We're not a part of the world. Whenever, whenever our schemes and our thoughts and our plans to solve the problems of the world begin to look like the plans and the schemes of the world, we need to have a check in our spirit. And here's the reality. like We live in a world right now when the church begins to push against the plans of the world. We get called names or we get called stupid or we get called whatever. And, I, and I'm here to tell you, and I, I don't know about anybody else in this room. I don't know about anyone else in this city. I don't know about anyone else in this country when it comes to Christianity. But I am telling you, I have chosen to double down on the truth that the answer is found in Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. There is no way I want to do anything else. I, I see the pain. I see the hurt. I see the division. I, I see the destruction that's in this world. And I keep seeing people go back to the futility of the minds of man instead of the truth of Jesus Christ. And my heart breaks over it. The church keeps trying to do what the world is doing and saying the things that this world is saying because it seems to make us more politically okay or it seems to make us more broadly accepted. And in so doing, we are leaving people in, in, their, in their aimlessness. We're allowing them to wander around in their darkness of mind. Instead of saying, I'm sorry. There is an answer. There is a way. But it's not that way. So as long as you want to, well, as long as you want to splash about over there, as long as you want to flop about over there, that's cool. But when you want to come to truth, when you want to come to healing, when you want to come to wholeness, when you want to come to unity, come to Jesus. I don't know how the church can keep thinking that partnering with those who mind, whose minds are nonsense darkened in their understanding, alienated from what we know in Christ Jesus, how we think it will be fruitful and not futile. I don't know why we keep turning to the methods and the messages borrowed from the world, conceived of their darkened minds and void of the Spirit. Paul says, it is empty, non-productive, useless. But, verse 20 continues, that is not the way you learned Christ. Assuming that you have heard about him and you were taught in him, as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and put on the new self. 
created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. The church is renewed because of Christ. The church's minds, our lives, our plans, our purposes are renewed by the Spirit of God, the Spirit of Jesus, the Spirit of Christ alive in us. Paul says the way this works in the church is that you put off your old self and you put on, and you put on the new self. You lay aside the old self, it, it, its thinking, its planning, its desires, and its wants. You put on Jesus, the new man, the, the new self. I like how the Amplified Bible says it because it ties it all together, I think. Strip yourselves of your former nature. Put off and discard your, your old, unrenewed self, which characterized your previous manner of life and becomes corrupt through lusts and desires that spring from delusion. Remember what Paul says, those who don't know Christ are darkened in their minds. They're futile in their thinking. They're delusional. Don't go down that path. Put that off. Lay it aside. And put on the new mindset of Jesus Christ. I love the terminology that's used here because specifically it, it, it indicates this, this, this activity. It, it calls us to do something actively. It calls us to do something daily. This is part of, of doing the work. When we talk about doing the work of the ministry, this is part of it. It means every day examining myself and putting off the old math, setting aside the old thinking, and putting on Jesus Christ and His thoughts and His thinking and His way. We, we slough off into human thinking. We slough off into human values. We slough off into human scheming. We degrade slowly. Into a human mindset. And that's why he says, put off the ways of the world and put on the new ways of Jesus Christ. You have to continually and constantly examine your plans. Are you examining your plans in light of Christ daily? Do you look at your life and the choices you're making and the direction you're going and you think, is this a mindset that is born of the Spirit, or is this a mindset that is in humanity, that is, that is human in its thinking? Are you actively challenging your choices and, and your thoughts, putting off what looks like the schemes of man for the values of Christ? Now again, I want you to remind you, I'm talking about this, I, 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 I brought you to the understanding that this whole thing is about what takes place in the church. When we are going to build up the church, when we are going to do the work of the ministry, this is what is required of us. Because you know what happens? What happens is, as Christians, as the church, when we're not putting off the old and bringing on the new, we begin to interact with one another in a way that looks nothing like Jesus and looks everything like the world. Do you know why the church is in such 
terrible state so often, it's because we don't put off the, the old and take in the new and interact with each other, doing the work of the ministry in the power of the Holy Spirit that's been given to us by Christ that looks nothing like the world. I'm sorry, I got a little worked up there. Are you actively challenging your choices and thoughts, putting off what, what looks like the schemes of man and the values of Christ? There, there, there are acts of humility that the Word of God calls us to that the world knows nothing about, that they can't even understand. This is one of the things that I see as I, as I look at the, at, the, at the church trying to join themselves with the things of the world. Listen, when, when Jesus said to love those who hate you, to, to care for those who despitefully use you, to, to pray for those, that, those, those that, that you, you, you couldn't stand, that you don't want to be around, when he said in the Word of God, he said, he, said, he said, do not repay evil for evil. I am the just judge. I will, I will repay. I will take care of it. None of that makes any sense. None of that is applicable. None of that in any way impacts your soul, your spirit, if you don't see it through Jesus. It makes no sense. It literally makes no sense if you do not believe. Listen, in our hearts, in our spirits, because of how God created us, injustice bothers us. And we believe injustice should be met. That we believe that injustice should, should be dealt with. And so when we see somebody doing something unjust specifically to us because of our pride and because of how we're built, it require, we believe it requires a response and that's true. It's a reality. The, the, the world won't function if, if, if injustice is just allowed to go forward without any response. And so if you ask me to say, listen, somebody's done something unjust, just let it go. Without the reality that there is a just judge that will ultimately take care of it, there is no peace there. I can't say to somebody who doesn't believe in a, in a, in a just judge, don't worry about it, it'll be okay. Because what the turmoil, the, 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 the anxiety that created in that to say, no, 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 they can't just get away with that. And I can say, well, don't worry about it. Um, this guy that you don't believe in, that you don't believe exists, he'll take care of it. But because I do believe in a just judge, I can go, you know what, it's okay. And the reason I can go it's okay is not only do I believe in a just judge, but I believe in a Savior who unjustly took my sins to the cross and humbled himself. And so I can live humbly before somebody else who does something unjust to me because I can say, if Jesus can do that for me, I can do this for Jesus. If you don't know Jesus, if you don't understand Jesus, if you don't have a connection to Jesus, how can you call anyone to live in that humility? See, this doesn't work without Jesus. Are you actively challenging your choices and your thoughts by putting off the old schemes for the values of Christ? Put off the old man. Put off the schemes of those who don't know Christ and put on a very different approach. An approach that should define the believer and ultimately define the life 
of the church. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only as such as is good for building up as it fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of repentance. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. Let me reiterate something for you as, as you hear those words. See, we read those things, and we, 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 we believe that these words here um, can just be willy-nilly applied. Absent Christ. Be tenderhearted. Care for one another. Look out for one another. Sacrifice for one another. Be gracious to one another. But it's rooted. It's rooted in as God in Christ forgave you. People will not forgive. They will not forgive injustice. They will not forgive mistreatment. We can because of what God did for us. This chapter, this passage of doing the work of the ministry progresses in a way that defines what it means to be the church. Jesus Christ gave apostles and teachers and prophets and evangelists to equip the church to do the work of the ministry. That is, members of the body take on the responsibility of the body. The church will mature. It will grow into the image of Christ. But it's not going to happen if we embrace the plans and the thoughts of those in the world. If we don't set aside, put, put off the ways of the world and put on the way of Jesus Christ, a way that leads us to speak a truth that passionately confronts evil but doesn't cause you to sin. That doesn't allow the devil to tempt us to bitterness and anger toward one another. One that causes us to work honestly and diligently and faithfully so we might bless others, not simply enrich ourselves. As we put on Christ, we don't speak in ways that put down our brothers and sisters, but but in ways that build them up in grace and mercy. Unlike the world that doesn't know the Holy Spirit, we are sensitive to the Spirit's leading as we allow His peace to wash over us, leading us to only be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving as He forgave us. If you can't see in this a clear distinction, a a clear difference from the approach of the world, I don't know what to say to you. I don't know how to help you. 
we must do the work of the ministry in the image of Christ, renewed by the Spirit, putting off the ways of the world. The standard that has been set forth for our community is laid out in verses 25 through 32. Unless we allow the Spirit of God to use us to do the work of the ministry in that manner, it will be no less futile in the schemes of the world. This is why I see too often ineffective churches and ineffective Christians. He has a good plan for us. Put off the ways of the world, put on the ways of Christ, and minister to one another. That is the Spirit's plan. Is it your intention to work that plan? Is it, is it your heart's desires? Is it your heart's cries? Is it, your, is it, is it, is it your, 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 your determination to work that plan? If not, I can't help you. Maybe even more importantly, if not, you can't help each other. The church will not be built up until the church is determined to work that plan.